I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Hi, welcome to the Kate and Mike Show. This is Kate. This is Mike. We are so excited to be here with you for our first episode. This is our first official episode of 2020. Happy New it, Year. It is. Wow. Right? Right. It's exciting. Now, 2020, people. Last week, we had an amazing... So, okay, let me back up. Our most listened to, our by far the most popular episode of the Kate and Mike show in 2019 was our episode on sobriety. And can we pull up to show tell what number episode that was, honey? Is that possible? Yep. So because that was such a wildly popular episode, we are bringing the topic back. And we brought it back last week with Holly Whitaker. And this week we have Laura McCowan and she is talking about her new memoir, We Are the Luckiest, The Surprising Magic of a Sober Life. It is an absolutely gorgeous book and it's sort of a continuation of the conversation that we started last week with Holly Whitaker. Holly and Laura are also Dear friends. What um, was the title? By oh, yeah. the way. Episode 137 was Sobriety, Substances, and Choosing Choosing to Live Awake. Yep. So you can go back and listen to that one. That was the one from 2019 that was our most downloaded episode of 2019. And so we decided to start off uh, to end 2020. I'm sorry, to end 2019 with sobriety and to start 2020 with sobriety. Because I honestly have to say for us... While we hadn't talked about it that much before, I think that choosing to be sober is one of the most like foundational aspects that makes our life and our business work. Not to say your life can't and your business can't work without being sober, but for us, like I think it's a pretty key decision. So I'm excited to dive deeper with our audience and just to hear what I you all have to say. I would reframe, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. It's one of the things I that would... makes our life work. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I, I You don't agree that being sober is no, one of the I, things that makes No, I life agree work. it makes my life work, which then in turn makes us work because Yeah, but it's a decision. I make a decision to be a, a non-drinker. Yeah, that's correct. It's a very yeah. different, right. but the it's a decision yeah. I made really in my early 20s. Yeah. Okay. Great. So, yeah. Sticking with it. I think it makes no. I I think about this a lot actually, where it's just it's not a thing I have to like. I have other issues to worry about and things to work on. Right? No, we don't. We are practically perfect in well, every way. Well, you can you. <laughs> I know you're perfect, honey, but I have things I need to work on. It, it, yeah, I know. So it's for me, it makes it very simple, right? Mm -hmm. Like I know the choice that I've made in the past when it comes to because we're. I mean, it's almost been. You know, it's like nine years now, right? Since I made this decision to stop going down this this path, so it's pretty incredible. And yeah, it's just like how great and it's also is challenging, right? It's fantastic because it makes our life work, but it also brings up a lot of things that I has been buried previously that it comes to the surface to deal with. So yeah, it uproots a lot, which we've talked about this previously. So. 
Okay, so before we tell you about today's guest, a little bit more about her, we have a listener shout out and then something exciting going on in our world that we want to tell you about. And then we're going to tell you more about Laura and what to expect in the episode. So we have a review coming in from the United States. It was my favorite podcast. Thank you very much. It's by M.K. Giles. Giles? 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 I don't know. G-U-I-L-E-S. Thank you so much. So Mike and Kate, your podcast was the first I ever listened to and has catapulted me on a total wellness journey. I started from the beginning and binged every episode. Whoa. Wow. That's amazing. (laughs) I have learned so much from you guys and you've honestly changed my outlook on life in so many ways, mind, body, and spirit. I personally love your dynamic. You guys are real with each other and actually sound like husband and wife before business partners. Oh, that's nice. That's cute. I like that. It's refreshing, real, and what makes your podcast the first on my list. P.S. I can't wait for my planner to come. Cheers. Oh. Oh, uh, we'll just do an update on that because I know there's a lot of people listening for that as well. So recent planner purchases for the Do Less Planner. They're on their way. They're on their way. Like it's. Well, they got the email. Left, yeah, they. You got your emails, but um, uh, the planners are shipping. For those of you that missed the physical planners, um, we are looking to have some come out in 2020. So stay. Get a digital one. Yeah, Go to kateoutherp.com oh, yeah. forward slash planner. The worst salesman ever. <laughs> well, in my head, I was thinking physical. But there is a digital version of this that you could start using now. And then when the physical version is available, you can just transfer some of your data over your information. Or just start the planner just the day the you planner. get it because it's undated. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. And you are in charge of your time. And that means you get to start your planner whenever you want. So that's the update with the planners. And while you wait for your planner to arrive or whether or not you're waiting for your planner to arrive, I'm super excited about something that we are doing. We are kicking off here in the beginning of January, warming up for the big thing the first week of February. And that is the following. There is a program that we decided to create called Make Time for Business. Do the things that make you money so you can do less. There are five core videos. This is going to be a paid course in the future. But for the first two weeks of February, you can get the core modules of the course completely for free. And all you need to do is go over to maketimeforbusiness.com. And during the month of January, if you're listening to this in January, I'm going to be warming you up and preparing you with a series of Facebook Lives in our Do Less Facebook group and also a customized preparation curriculum that'll be coming to you via email to prepare to get the most out of Make Time for Business starting February 3rd. So if you go over to maketimeforbusiness.com, you can get all the details and join us. And now. Oh, before we transition to talk more about Laura, MK Giles, that left the review. I feel like we kind of didn't acknowledge. Thank you so much for the great comment. And you can just send me a DM on Instagram at Mike J Watts and we'll send you something special in the mail. Amazing. It won't be a physical planner because we don't have I any. I know. We sold, we oversold them in fact, but if you ordered one, you're getting one. So don't worry. Okay. So now we have our beautiful guest, Laura McCowan, had a long successful career in public relations and the Mad Men-esque drinking culture of advertising. After getting sober, she quickly became recognized as a fresh voice in recovery, beloved for her soulful and irreverent writing online and in print. That is in fact how I found her. 
on the Instagram, but she's actually kind of local to us. She's a New Englander. She now leads sold out retreats and courses, teaching people how to say yes to a bigger life. She lives outside Boston with her daughter. She writes an award-winning blog, hosted the iTunes Top 100 Home Podcast, and currently hosts Spiritualish, a show that provides an irreverent take on self-help. She's been featured on WebMD, The New York Post, Bravo, and The Today Show, and more. And she is a damn good writer, a hilarious person, incredibly transparent and vulnerable, and very, very inspiring. Mm-hmm. So, well, she also is the founder of several online programs for sobriety and personal development and teaches workshops and retreats all over the United States. I have attended one of her workshops. It was phenomenal. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh. Oh. I sometimes I go to workshops in secret. <laughs> I mean, that's fine. <laughs> that's actually not true. But anyway, so we're so excited for you to listen to this episode. If you loved last week's episode, if you loved the episode we did on sobriety, you're going to love this one. And regardless of whether or not you've listened to those episodes, you're here. So listen in yeah. and enjoy. Welcome, Laura, to the Kate and Mike show. We are so happy to have you. Thank you. This is great. Congrats on writing a book. Seriously. No kidding. Yeah. What a big what deal. Is exciting. Yeah. Well, you've done it twice, Kate. This is my first. Well, it's really different, though. It's really different. And I just want to say that I have such admiration for memoir writers because Mm. writing how-to books or, like, self-help books, you can very easily – I try to put a lot of my stories in there and a lot of myself in there, and I do. However, it's very easy to remain separate emotionally and, like – you know, and just kind of remain separate and just be like, right. I'm over here and you're I'm over a teacher here and I'm and a teacher yeah. and da, da, da. And that's actually kind of what I hate about writing self-help books. So when it comes to memoir, I am going to start with a businessy question, if that's okay. Do it. For those who feel that they have a memoir in them, which I think many, many people do. Yeah. What was your process like that ended up in you having a published book, which is published today? Just yeah. so exciting. So great. I it's love out it. today, which of course we're not recording this today that you're listening to it. So we're doing a little future tripping, but we're pre-celebrating. <laughs> we're pre-celebrating. I know. I was like, God, what if it was today? What will I be doing? Laying on the floor? I don't know. Okay. Well, that's um, going to be our next question. Okay. What did you so- just you're going to Florida. What am I going to be doing? Laying on the floor? Oh, laying like, on the floor. <laughs> we're going to Florida. Like, Florida or floor? I couldn't, you know, they both, it's the, you know, FL, FL. Laying on the celebrates their memoirs being published in Florida. <laughs> Naturally. Oh, God. I don't do anything in Florida. Anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> what was the question? My question was what was it? What were like some of the steps that you took? To, I mean, I'm not trying to get like some sort of formula out of you, but just for people who want to write a memoir, like what did you do to get it to the point where you ha- now have a published memoir today? Yeah, I had always wanted to write a memoir. So in all my writing before this, I started with a blog and it was always personal essays. So it was always personal writing to me. That's the writing I love to read the most. So I knew for a long time that I wanted to write a book about my addiction story. And then I realized, you know what, I really want to talk about more about what sobriety is like. Like there's a good amount of the addiction stuff in there, but I really want to talk about sobriety because there's not a ton about that, what it's like in early sobriety, what 
all the stuff that you have to deal with after you stop drinking or whatever. And so I sort of mapped out like if for the me of 2013 and 14, what were the main things that I really needed to know when I was just barely hanging on every day? And that's sort of how the, the structure of the book went. Like, what are the questions that I had? What was the, the biggest pain that I had? And that's how the book was structured. Yeah. So you wrote the book that you needed. Totally. Which is a cliche thing that people say to do, but it really was. Because when I, I mean, you could say a million things. And when I, when I got stuck, it was always like, I have this image of myself in my bed in this apartment that I had for a very brief period of time where all men, I shared a room, like the first place I moved into after I'd separated from my husband. And like everything else at that time, it was just, it was hard. It was a hard time. And I just picture myself in the bed, my sheets were red and just the room was dark and just like picturing me in those first months of sobriety I always would picture that, that version of myself and go, what did she need? You know? It's so good. Mm. Well, it's so good because it just like, I think it, it's nearly impossible to know what other people need. Right. (laughs) But when we, when we do what we need, the more specific we get, it tends to be the most universal, which is such a mind trip. Um, Well, what is that saying? The universe, the individual is the universal. I mean, it's, yeah. And I do have some idea of what people, because I've been doing this work, you know, my work has completely shifted since I got sober and I talk to people in recovery every day. I'm surrounded. That's a big part of my work. So I know what the big things are. You know, I know like everyone is so ashamed, (laughs) especially mothers, especially women, you know, that have gone through that. So I wrote a lot about that, but when it was about my own experience, that seemed to be the best way to go. And I think that's what it is for every person. Because look, addiction is not a unique thing. There's a million addiction memoirs out there. There, Everyone, you know, if we're talking to people who want to write a memoir, what I hear so often is like, my life isn't that interesting. And my story is not that interesting. And it's like, but it is, you know, you, no one can tell your story. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's such a good reminder. Mm-hmm. And and what do people are finding that they're most ashamed about? Because you mentioned like it's the mm. common, right? So yeah, what are we ashamed well, about? Well, there are a few things. I mean, I think in general, addiction to alcohol and drugs, because we're addicted to a million things, but alcohol and drugs specifically is seen as this sort of moral failing because of the way it looks, right? You act in not so great ways the, it seems like it's a choice that you could make otherwise, you know, especially in deference to the people that you love. So it's seen as this kind of icky thing. And it is right. We do things that are shameful. I mean, I lied, (laughs) I cheated, I stole, I did all those things that those are reasons to be ashamed. If shame is like in the healthy side of shame, it's to correct your behavior. So there is shame there, but it's also like, oh my God, this is something that's wrong with me. This is like, I'm somehow deeply flawed that this is what has happened to me. Like I'm weak or I'm, you know, I'm weak, you know, or I'm, I'm broken somehow. So there's that piece, which I think is sort of universal, but then there's this really specific piece for moms that I see all the time because it just doesn't make sense. You love, I mean, for me, my big worst moment, which I opened the book with is like this 
devastating thing that happened with my daughter. And to me, it was like, this just doesn't make sense. I love this human. And yet I put her in devastating danger over and over again. That was just one instance. So it's like, how could I do this to my kids? You know, how could I let this thing happen to me? And how could I choose alcohol or whatever over my, over my kids? And it's this really deep, deep shame. My friend, it was actually a guy who said it, but he's like, based on his observation in AA meetings that there's this special vitriol for mothers who drink. And I was like, yeah, it's true. What does vitriol mean? Poison. Like kind of disdain, like energetic poison. (laughs) Yeah. Like you're just like, okay, I get it. Like, you know, but for for the moms, really? Like, but the flip side of that is the mommy drinking culture, which Mm -hmm. is so pervasive. So Mm -hmm. I'm a mom. I hang out with moms. It is remarkable the amount that moms talk about drinking. Right. And as a non-drinker, I always just sort of don't say anything because like, what am I going to say? But can you talk a little bit about that? Because it's something you talk about on your Instagram a lot, which I really appreciate. And just kind of that mommy wine culture and and maybe why that's yeah. a problem. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, okay. I think why it exists. I've been really trying to think why this is a thing, you know, and I think there's multiple factors, but One of them is for sure for me that like when I became a mom, my world felt like it got very small. And I think that's a common feeling. I was a, you know, had a really big job. I had a big bang in social life. I had all this, I lived in the city, this whole thing. And then all of a sudden you have a kid and it's like, oh my God, my entire life is like diapers. And it's this tiny, you know, it feels like this tiny existence. And for a while it actually is, you know, it's like reduced to this minutia of the day to day. And wine is still this thing though, that I felt like, I felt like I had lost all my independence, but also my like, fuck you. Like, this is who I am, this strong woman. And can, you know, like this push against this normal suburban existence that I really didn't want to be in. (laughs) And wine was this way to just rebel. It's like, no, I have this, I have this, and this is what we get to do. And this is what we get to do as moms. And then it becomes this inside joke, like, oh, we deserve this. This is our thing that we can do. Our little, you know, little act of rebellion. And when we go out, what do we do? We go out to dinner and we go out for drinks. And, and it also, there's this physiological thing that happens when, you know, your body completely changes, your hormones change and drinking actually just affects you differently. Mm. Like it really does. I mean, I remember having this really distinct feeling like, oh my God, this isn't working anymore. And because I was so anxious and you don't just sleep in and you have this whole layer of responsibility that you've never had. What isn't working anymore? The wine, like the alcohol just wasn't working. It was like, oh my God. So I was like, I was drinking more. Got it. Yeah. And so there was this big uptick in how much I was actually doing it. So it's this perfect storm. And, you know, then there's like nothing in my life changed. I was still working. I was still doing all the things. And then I had a kid. So something has to hold that up on the back end. And I thought for me, it was like, I'll drink, you know, I get to have my little moment, like my two hours or three hours or whatever of my world at the end of the day, that just puts a little buffer between me and the things I need to do. 
right? It's so easy. It's so easy. And it's so acceptable. And all your other mom friends get it. And they're going, yeah, girl, that's, yeah, me too. And there's wines marketed to you. And there's a whole freaking aisle of things in the paper store that are like stupid wine jokes. And then it's at your yoga studio. And then it's everywhere. Yeah. You know, so it's so easy. Then you look around, you go, yeah, we're all doing it. And you think you should be able to do it. So when do you, it, I know for moms that start to have a problem, they go, it's like this internal, like, okay, what's wrong with me that I can't handle this now? And they don't want to see it. And then, you know, addiction is, is sneaky and strong. It's like, you just cross this elusive point at some point where you're not choosing it anymore. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So if someone's listening right now and is thinking like, do I have a problem with alcohol maybe? Hmm. Do I, do I not? Is this normal? Is this not normal? Mm -hmm. What would you say to them? Well, I would say don't drink for a while and see how that feels. See if it's hard. Don't drink for a month. Just notice like how that works for you and what your mind starts to do and what your body starts to do. And that's a good way to tell. Hmm. Not if you're addicted, but just like, what's going, what's the deal with you in this relationship with this thing? And you, it'll become pretty clear pretty fast. Mm -hmm. So in your journey, can you talk about what I really appreciated about, first of all, you're such a good writer. So I just want to say that, Thank like, you. I just loved reading your book and I read it during a weekend when Mike went mountain biking. So I was solo parenting and I also <laughs> managed to read your memoir. <laughs> Um, I, that's a huge compliment. <laughs> yeah. Like that's I, the only other book I've ever done that with is profit first, which was like not as enjoyable to read, but I needed to for other reasons. Mm -hmm. This one was just like, Oh my God, it was such a gift. I would, you know, the girls are playing on the floor and I'm like sobbing. <laughs> and, um, so just, oh. I want to say thank you for your writing and for sharing yourself so openly and generously. And so can you tell us, our listeners, what a, a little bit about the almost cyclical nature in a way of your sobriety journey, because I think that the zeitgeist is like, oh, you decide to get sober and then and then you do. <laughs> and I feel like that's probably not most people's stories. So do you mind sharing what your version was? Obviously, your entire book is somewhat that. about this. So like just sure. whatever you yeah. feel like sharing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, it was not a linear path. There was I... I was slammed against a wall by something that happened and that forced me to do something mostly, honestly, for outward appearances, because my family was like, Hey, so now what's going to happen? Because this can't happen. This isn't going to go on anymore. I was like, well, I guess I'll go to a meeting because that's what people do. That was in July of 2013. And I didn't get, you know, finally stop until September of 2014. And there was a lot of drinking in that year. There was also a lot of sober time, I think. But if I have to really trace back and go, when did I have it buzzing in my ear that my relationship with alcohol was not, was tricky or different? It was way before that. Like mm -hmm. it was, it was when I was like 18, I knew like I had this need for it, this like lust for more drinking all the time. And I, I knew that there's a part in the book where I say, and this might be something that people can identify with. Like I was at my graduation party 
I was fully able to drink whatever that by then my family is a family of drinkers. It was no big deal. And we owned a restaurant and I was filling up my, this is high school, high school graduation, high school. Yeah. Yeah. So I was 18. I was filling up my third cocktail of Bacardi Limon and Diet Coke and pretty buzzed at that point. And I had, you know, I had a lot going on internally at that time. Some just normal stuff like going to college, unsure. And then I also had, anyway, I had an internal storm going on. And when I was drinking that day, it was like all just washed away, which is how alcohol does feel for a while. And I remember thinking so clearly, like if I can just stay this way, everything will be okay. And I really did ride that out for a long time. That was when I was 18, right? So I liken giving up alcohol or anything that has you, it's a grieving process. Like for me, it was like, you're losing an entire identity and everything that comes with it. It was like my entire social life, my entire love life, my work life. I worked in advertising, everybody drank my emotional life. I didn't, I mean, so it is and was a process. I think it is for most people. I know it is for most people. There are some people who walk into a meeting or they just decide one day that was not my experience. And I think that any idea that it should be is kind of like not true. It's just not true. So, yeah. One of the things that I really appreciate about both our guest from last week, Holly Whitaker, Mm -hmm. and who I obviously know that (laughs) you two are friends and you, Uh it's like a great back-to-back and both of your work Uh is that really, to be perfectly honest, like prior to reading both of your books back-to-back, I mean, I followed you both on Instagram and I I also follow a lot of the other people in the sobriety world Yeah, because- of sobriety, I just like, I resonate with it so deeply with the message of basically like living awake. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love all of your accounts. Thank you. <laughs> and, um, and they just like, they make me feel also less like a weirdo because having been a non-drinker for so yeah. long, I yeah. sort of was like oddly ostracized for that and always felt like yeah, nerdy sure. weirdo and people gave me all kinds of shit less so now, but cause I barely hang out with anyone who drinks, but right. anyway, so, but what I would want to talk about right now is that both of your books helped me to really understand that. And I also come from a family of alcoholics, mm. not my immediate family, but like the, you know, a couple times extended ones. Yeah. Extended ones. Yeah. Grandparents, etc. So What our culture teaches us is that basically there are some people who can drink like normal, healthy people. And then there are these people who are morally deprived called alcoholics and they just like can't get it together. Yeah. And there's something wrong with them, which is basically the narrative I grew up with, right? Yeah, all of us. There's something wrong. You know, your Grammy is an alcoholic. She's been in and out of rehab since she was 18. She Mm -hmm. just, she never got sober. Mm -hmm. And and just like watching the ways that affected my dad's life and whatever. But you bring up in your book and Holly also, the way that we have just been so indoctrinated, it is so fucked up to Mm. think that normal, healthy people should be able to drink this toxic, this neurotoxin essentially as like part of being a healthy, happy adult. So I don't have a question so much as like, can you talk about that? 
Sure. <laughs> it is weird. And it was sort of something I didn't have words for for a while. I just knew that when I started to get sober, because everyone in my life drank a lot. I just happened to, I guess, be a few degrees worse, right? Then I was like, I had a problem. I had a problem. But if I looked around at my family and my friends, none of whom are sober, I was like, we all have problems. What We're all fucked yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. But I had this feeling when I started to get sober, I was so angry and so full of rage. And it was like, there were many things in there, but it was like this something about this is so much bigger than we even understand. This is a huge, we are all duped. We're all duped. I mean, I would, I worked in advertising, which is, there's lots of many booze laden industries that's one of them it's expected that you get hammered it's expected we had bars in the offices it was like there was so much drinking going on that and no one thought about it at all until you crossed like some line that was very undefinable right and then it was like "Mm, you need to go over there and just deal with that thing that's happening and it was also this like nobody talked about it either That's what was really weird to me. It's like, I mean, you have girlfriends, you have friends, maybe guys talk less. I think they do, but like about everything, like I know about everything we would talk about our, you know, any, everything to do with our bodies, pregnancy or whatever we would, no one wants to, no one wants to touch alcohol. Like we're not, this is our baby that we want to protect and pretend like, because we need to all be able to do it. Right. But these are all things I didn't have words for. And I was just like, this is, there's something significantly wrong. So over the years, you know, I've started to pull that apart. And I think there's, there's many layers to it. One is that it's this massive industry. It's huge. And it's giant, like in the billions, billions, billions. And so like other industries that are similar, what we see is very manufactured. And what we don't see about it is very manufactured, right? There's a study that came out last year about how there is no safe amount of alcohol, zero. But what what have we heard all our lives? Anything from like, you know, red wine is great for you. It's an antioxidant. Drink responsibly. Drink responsibly. Drinking in moderation is good for your health. We still see all that. This study was like, (laughs) it was a massive, massive study. And it was like, blip on the radar, on the media radar, because no one wants to hear. Right. So... (laughs) I just like PSA folks, you are not getting the real truth through the media on any channel anywhere right? other than independent podcasts or independent blogs. But like Google is, is feeding you like Google is filtering out. They're not giving you actual search results. You think it's all, it's not. So just like, you have to know that. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. And, and this is one example of so many where we are extraordinarily duped about what alcohol is and isn't. I mean, it is a drug. It is responsible for more death and damage than all the other drugs combined. And yet we think it's like our birthright to drink for everything. You know, it's not even, that was, that's what struck me more than anything. It's like, it's a foregone conclusion. At least with the people I hung out with, this is going to be part of the deal for every single thing we did. So it was much bigger. I knew, like I, I knew two things that seemed to be conflicting, but they, they really aren't. I knew that I had, I definitely had a problem with alcohol. Like I couldn't fuck with it. I couldn't drink it. I, 
I had lost control. When I drank it, I had no idea what was going to happen. That was true. And also it's not good for anybody. Like it's not just me. I wasn't like, I don't think there's, there's many areas of gray in between the not problem and the, and the problem. I have friends who don't seem to care about drinking. They could take it or leave it. I'd say they don't have a problem with alcohol because they don't really use it. But in between that and, you know, the uh, acute addiction sits most of the people in society, right? And then there's all kinds of stuff that we don't even realize, like how much of a link it has between, uh, there is between anxiety and depression and alcohol. Anxiety, let's just take that, which who isn't suffering from anxiety, right? And there's a distinct, like specific link between alcohol and anxiety. And that didn't occur to me until way late in the game. So what do you mean and, by the oh, link? Well, yeah. Like, can you a, say your amazing bio- quote about that? Yeah. Oh, drinking alcohol is like pouring gasoline on your anxiety. <laughs> perfect. I mean, I'm, I have two buddies of mine that goes right along with what we're talking about here, like the culture behind this. Mm. They went on dates recently Mm, they don't that's they're not normal drinkers like, right like I've never seen either of these guys drink when we're hanging out and i've hung out with them a lot right and so i mean i've been on trips with one of my buddies we've gone do to they want to go out on dates with me they, <laughs> maybe yeah we'll talk, uh, yeah, yeah. We'll talk. <laughs> we uh we can make that happen. at least one of them the other ones no um, this is a podcast episode where laura got set up you know what? We had people here at Thanksgiving this year that met last year. They were together this year. You know, it's like, it, that's that true. Yeah. yeah. It's a Thanksgiving love story. But you, not you, but it's like they, they went out on date. This is the same story, two different guys. They both went on a date. They went, met up with this girl. They both sat down and had one or two beverages mm-hmm. at the meal. And I'm like, why? Like, this is my question. I asked him, I'm like, you don't even drink. He goes, cause he was like, he's what happens when he drinks his skin pops, right? It like breaks out and acne and all this other <laughs> stuff happens and rashes. And he's like, yeah, I'm dealing with the skin issue. I said, from what? He goes, I've been, I went on a date and I drank. I said, for what? Why? And he goes, well, that's what you do. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but you're lying. Like you <laughs> yeah. don't drink. It is false advertising. But it goes, it's like your book, like when your whole chapter on lying, you know, and that is just, it's incredible. Like, expe- mm-hmm. like you can talk about that if you want to dive a little bit into just. That, well, the drinking thing is a massive, the, the dating and drinking thing is a massive, massive thing. That was like my biggest heartbreak was like, how will I ever, ever meet someone? How do you go on a date without drinking? Just like your friend who doesn't drink is like, well, well, well of course I'm going to drink. But in this know? one though, context. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but, but he went out on his he We're went on his third date and didn't drink, and the the girl was like, "Oh, you, why aren't you drink? Like, you don't want a beverage? Like, yeah. what's going on?" And I was just like, "Well, you got to tell her you don't really drink." <laughs> like, you set yourself up for that one, buddy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird, but it's a but that's what I mean. There's that you know saying that's like the only drug you have to explain not using. It's true. Like, you don't just not drink, and someone goes, you know, oh. I mean, we wouldn't, but right. But most people would go, why aren't you drinking? Isn't that weird? Yeah, can you imagine <laughs> if somebody said to you at a dinner party, like, why aren't you doing lines of Coke? <laughs> yeah, where are where Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and then try to convince you that you would be more fun if you did. Right. Which, it's your, true. I might be more today? fun if I did lines you of Coke. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Even something more benign, we don't go like, 
where's your weed? Why aren't you smoking weed tonight? Right. Yeah. It's we don't do that. Or even a cigarette, right? Like, which was a well, far right. more that was I mean, that's like a far more pervasive yeah. thing. Like if you say I'm not a smoker, no one's like, Oh, hey, come on, like <laughs> stop being such a straight edge. Just like have a like, nobody does that. No, You're right. it's we, so crazy. we know it's stupid now. We know it's stupid. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. And, you know, I, we, I can laugh about it now, but when you're faced with sobriety, this, this shit is real. You're like, oh, so I'm basically excommunicated from all of yeah. the things. So can you talk about your experience? Like you described it as this island where you could no longer go. Can you talk about that Fantasy island? islands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I felt like, at some point, like we all do, I mean, even your friend believes in the fantasy island, you like good things happen on the island and all the people that are on the island are the people you want to be around and they're all beautiful and they're smart and they drink alcohol and there are no consequences and they, their lives are held together. Right. And when I got sober, it was like, Oh, I, I have to leave that. I have to leave that. And, and all the things that I think that means. And that's the only place I had ever really lived in my relationships. So all my relationships to some degree had been based on this lie, this fantasy. And it felt like that. It felt like going away <laughs> somewhere else and learning how to live in a completely different context. Cause it is. It yeah. is. What were the, like, what's the challenges around let's, I want to stay with this lying piece for a second. Like, yeah. Because when you're drinking all the time and trying to hide it from people, and I have, I 100% am on the same page with you about this, where it's just like your life is partying and then lying about partying <laughs> to people in your life, but they know you're lying to them. But then when you get sober <laughs> and you continue these lies... And they just happen like it's casual because Kate's seen me do this. She brought it up. I have seen Mike <laughs> tell a lie when it was completely unnecessary. Oh like my God. for That's... zero reason. It is the yeah. weirdest, not recently, <laughs> no. but years ago, it was like, wait, why are you just not telling the truth? And it is like mm. a habitual thing, right? No, now I can't do it. Yeah. You can't lie? Like, it's, no, <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I'm not able to. Don't hold like that lie in that form anymore because my body like rejects it. Yeah. It's very interesting. And it makes it that like, that's a whole nother uncomfortable feeling. Right. Yeah. But, like, can you talk about what it was like for you to go from this place of lying about drinking and then you're like sober and still feel like you got to lie. Like it, it becomes a, it's just a regular habit where you just make things up about everything. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it starts so early, right? It started way before I started drinking. And I'm guessing that's your experience too. I learned to lie as a kid for mm -hmm. a bunch of reasons. It was like, it makes life easier at home. If I was to express how I actually felt about things, that was not a welcome thing. And I did it to, you know, I wouldn't have called it lying, but just like people pleasing or shape shifting so that you can survive your environment. So I was lying for my whole life, I think, in big and small ways, just to get people to like you, to make a quicker connection, because it's easier sometimes, because you're saving face, whatever. There's a million reasons. But when you get into addiction, you really have to protect this thing you're doing. You really do. It feels like survival. 
meaning I have to protect my drinking, how much I'm drinking, when I'm drinking, where I've been, who I've been with, what I did last night, all of that. There were many different versions of me all, all around. And it just became knee jerk. I mean, that's what I talk about. It was like, it just became as reflexive as like sneezing. It's like, I would lie and not, it was like, wow, I just lied, you know? And I would lie. There's that whole scene I wrote about my friend who brought me over to his house. And he's like, you lie even when you don't have to. And I was like, oh my God, what? You know, like so mortified because he was right. And I didn't even see the, he gave me all these examples. And I was like, but I had to, you know? but I I had to. And so that was sort of this first, and that was before I got sober, but then you can't really be sober. You can't, I don't think you can get sober without starting to tell the truth. You can't because it's like a prerequisite for getting like you, if you can't at least admit this is where I am in space and time right now, I have this problem that has to be dealt with. And this is how bad it is. That's like your first, you know, truth. I mean, that's what I did that whole first year is I couldn't be honest. And so I never got anywhere mm-hmm. with my sobriety. And then once I started, it, and it's all about shame. It was all about protecting, like, I didn't want people to really know what was going on with me because I thought it was so disgusting and terrible, right? Which is hilarious because you go to, like, I went to AA meetings and you hear the fucking craziest shit. And yet mine was somehow worse and more, you know, just... Mm-hmm but it was so ingrained and it was so deep and it was so, it was just like, I just can't, I just can't show that much. I could show 90% of me, but not the last, not the last bit. I had to get over it. And that's really, really hard. And then once I got sober, you realize, like, I just realized it was a, a habit. Like you said, my kids, like, I would lie about, have you seen that movie? Yeah. Yeah. That was great. You know, because I wanted to connect with this person or, I had such a habit of lying to my ex-husband because I had so many lies with him that I was trying to, you know, I was like living this secret life behind the scenes that I thought I had to keep doing that with him. And it was just reflexive. It was like, I, I had to really learn from people watching people. It's like a learned skill, watching people tell the truth, watching them correct themselves when they told a lie or like a, you know, fudge something and watch them not vaporize and die from the shame and then to try it out myself. Because the thing is, most of what people knew about me wasn't, was, I had been telling lies for so many years that it was like, even to my best friends, things would come out and they're like, what? Like, I never knew that happened. I never knew you did that or this. There's so, there's just a pile of things. Mm -hmm. So it's a process because you, a lot of those things are even hidden to yourself. And then there's this whole other layer of like, I don't even know what I think, what I actually think or what I actually feel. And so I have to learn who I am. I have to learn what's going on inside me and then somehow be able to articulate that. It's boundary work. It's all those things. One of the most poignant moments in the book for me reading was the moment when you were on your living room floor Mm-hmm. which may have been more than one moment, but this one. <laughs> I know which one you mean. The one where it was like the feeling you were having that you wanted to leave, but then you didn't. Mm-hmm. And it was so profound because addiction or not, like mm-hmm. we are all trying not to feel. Like we're trying really hard not to feel with yeah. social media, with chocolate, with sex, with online shopping, TV, whatever. 
those are all addictions. Okay. So actually with addiction, we are all trying to yeah. not, right? Like, yeah. We are all trying to not feel. We have a lot of ways to escape. A lot of numbing behavior, a lot of numbing behavior. And I, and I really believe, you know, with my work around do less, that a large reason why we're all so obsessed with being busy is because we're trying not to feel. Totally. And yet you tell this story about what happened when you just let yourself feel. So what happened when you actually stayed there instead of numbing? Right. Well, I think half of what we're afraid of is this thing we don't, we anticipate to be like, we're going to die if we feel a thing. It's going to be too overwhelming. We're going to cry and never stop. (laughs) We're going to be swallowed up by the earth. (laughs) And it sounds like we're not going to survive it. You know, the guilt or the grief the anger. I have so many women that are like, if I get angry, it will never end. You know? Wow. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, right. there, there, yeah. <laughs> Good but reason thing, to be angry as a woman. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, it's like what happened was kind of nothing. I felt a feeling. <laughs> My, the line is like, I realized I was just a girl in a room feeling a feeling. It hurt. It hurt a lot. And it was, there's a big surrender because it's just your body, you know, it's racking your body with energy. <laughs> All it is. Yeah. Uncomfortable energy that I had worked my, I had created an entire persona to avoid that like 38 years of trying to avoid that. But in reality feelings, I think they only last like, I think there's some science. It's like, it's like 12 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> If you let things wash over you, right? And then you realize you survive. There's a release and you're still going. (laughs) You're still there. Yeah. Yeah. Your book is titled, We Are the Luckiest. Mm -hmm. And you said like, this is really a memoir about living sober, Mm -hmm. not necessarily getting sober, though that's part of, I mean, it's both, right? It's both. Mm -hmm. So why did you call your book, We Are the Luckiest? Yeah. Well, so I, like many people thought that getting sober was the death sentence, right? It's like everything ends here and my life's going to be this like B version, B movie that nobody really wants. And I don't want to be living. And I thought all the people in meetings, all sober people were just like deluded. Like, of course they had to think their life was good and they're grateful because how would they live otherwise? But it really wasn't. It was really kind of sad. (laughs) And there was a moment, you know, I I was like, I think 30 days sober or around then it was very new in 2014. And I was crying all the time then and just heavy, things felt very heavy in general. And I was laying in bed one night with my daughter. It was a normal night and, and just an anything night. And I just had this moment where similar to that time on the bathroom floor, where it's like, oh, I'm just here. Like, this is a direct experience of life. And that's what I had always wanted. Like, that's exactly what I was always chasing was this direct experience of life. I wasn't lying in that moment. I wasn't destroying anything actively. I was just there. And I had my beautiful sleeping daughter next to me and my clean sheets. And I was okay. And I was like, oh, oh no, this is what I wanted. And I'm actually lucky. Like, I'm really lucky. And it was also, I looked around at the other sober people I knew and it was like, God damn, these people are really 
like they're brave, badass people doing life in a completely different way. You know, I posted something to Instagram with that sentiment and I said, we are the luckiest. And then it kind of just became a thing. So it was like, but you know, a few years later, it was just the obvious people use it now to come out sober, to mm-hmm. talk about being sober. And it was the obvious choice. Cause I do, I do feel like it. I think any, you know, like I say, any addiction was my thing. We all have something that breaks us eventually. And they're always invitations. They never feel like invitations. They feel like bad news and pain, but I got this call to wake up and I took it. Eventually I said, yes. And my life, I can't even, I can't even believe that I thought that life was not going to be better or even this. I, I can't believe I had that belief because it's beyond, it's just what I wanted. It was what I was chasing and drinking the whole time. Mm. So, so beautiful. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> Big secret. Are you crying, Mike? No, I'm not crying. Oh, I am. Um, <laughs> no, I. I mean, I almost did, but sometimes he will. Yeah, no, not I, nearly I, as easily <laughs> as I do. No, I don't have a problem. I cry all the time. I was. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. I was. <laughs> This is a side note. This has nothing to do with this interview, but I was listening to the game, the hip hop artist today, who's literally like in a, in a gang. I think he's a blood and grew up in Compton. And he was telling in this interview that he watches the notebook and he's like, I'm a gangster. And I was crying, you know, and it was like, I was like, this is amazing. Anyway. He watches the notebook. That's, yeah, he I mean, was. That's awesome. pretty serious. He, yeah, he was yeah, talking about. Yeah, I don't even do that. <laughs> no, it's just like it's one hundred. Like a hun- because I resonate so much with it. You know, even this morning, like we were Penelope started a new school and is she enjoys it, but is really having a hard time transitioning. And yeah. we talked to her with her about it this morning. And then I was like upstairs getting ready to go and we're running late. And I'm like, I'm running to get to work. And she just was like, Will you walk me to school? And it was a decent day out. And I was like, no, we're not going to walk to school. I'll just take you because we're late. And she's like, no, I want to walk to school. And I was like, shit, like I could die today. And then like my last opportunity is to walk with my daughter. Like, why don't I just do it? You know? And it's like all of those decisions since I, you know, exactly what you just shared. It's just like Mm -hmm. talks about how it's been freaking hard, you know, going Mm -hmm. through this process Mm -hmm. and but it has been a hundred percent like it, it, I feel very lucky in the end of it. I feel lucky that I'm alive and that well, yeah, nothing, start else, nothing there. else worse. Right. I mean, it changes your baseline forever, right? Yeah. Everything is compared to that hell that you were once in. Yeah. Um, so everything good is like a miracle. <laughs> it, and then just the basic things, you know, it really, it shifts, it shifted everything, but you have to go through it. You know, there was no, there's no shortcut and it goes on forever. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So somebody's listening right now. They're like, Oh God. <laughs> 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 right. Like this is for me. Shit. What do I do? And you shared so many incredible nuggets and obviously they need to get your book. What is like, what should they do first? Mm-hmm. And I know you work with people on this journey, right? I do. I don't want in what way? Well, I don't I don't work with people. I, I have I teach courses. One yeah. is 
not how to get sober because that's a whole thing and not <laughs> uh, that I don't feel equipped to yeah. do. And I think requires a lot more than I think could be provided, but it's a course on how to, what to do once you do get sober, like how to be a human well, in the world. Yeah. It's called we're the luckiest. And it's like how to live as a sober person. Yeah. It's like sort of. every, yeah, it is. It's like what the major things that come up, you know, which are relationships, yeah. the feelings that you get, all of that. So I do teach that course, but, and then I, the other work is all just my writing and podcasts that I've done and all that. I would say the first thing to do is this. So I would say, write, get out a piece of paper and write down what's going on. Because before you, I think, you know, a lot of people say, go tell someone, go ask for help. It's too hard. I think you should, but first write it all down, write down your entire drinking history and all the other ways that you have tried to escape yourself. Right. And the consequences, it becomes very clear at that point, like it's a hard thing to do, but once you do, it's like, oh, okay, this is reality. This is ground zero. This is where I am. And it will be hard, but you have to get that stuff out of your body first. <laughs> and then if you can read that to someone. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then how about somebody who is sober and they're listening and they're like, okay, I got sober. And now I'm what? miserable. <laughs> <laughs> like, cause like, cause it, uh, you talked about it gets harder a little bit yeah. before yeah. it gets easier or better. Well, it's not or, about the drinking. It's right. like, and you can't just stop drinking and like not drinking is not a replacement for drinking alone. You know, you, you start to feel pretty crazy, pretty quick. You have to connect to other people who are sober. I strongly believe that you can't, it's like being a mom and never talking to another mom. Like you will, you would lose your mind, right? Oh yeah. You, and you can't try to force your partner to understand or your friends to understand because they won't and it'll be frustrating. So connect to other sober people. That can be through a meeting. It could be online. And I don't mean you just get to read other people's posts because that's not enough. You have to actually make connections. And then therapy, like I will say, you can, you have to start to digest everything that's happened, right? You have to. And a therapist can be a good place to start, but it has to be a therapist that understands addiction because it's a specific thing. AA is not for everybody, but man, that if you can find a good meeting and you can find a few good people, that carried me a long way. And it can be a start. Mm-hmm. And you can do things even though you don't buy into the whole you know, enchilada, you can, totally. you can, you can do things and it can be complicated and that on, and not to push my course, but that's what I, that's why I created, we are the luckiest course. And I'm running it again, starting in February because it's, there isn't a lot out there yet about yeah. what to do. Right. You can, well, I've never the, heard of a course about how to live as a sober person. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. You made it. <laughs> That's awesome that it's a thing that exists. Yeah, yeah. it is. And, and it's, you know, I took like the core things that I struggled with and it was like, and I, I'm a, like a seeker of, I've read <laughs> too many psychology, self-help books, spiritual books. It's a little ridiculous, but I took the best learnings that I've had and my experiences and created into something that I know is really helpful. So you have to do more. I would say the first thing to do is try to connect with someone who's sober you have to talk. You have to talk and listen. Great. So on this day of your book's birthday, 
as we wrap up here. What is your prayer for this book as she launches into the world? Oh, I love this question. I just hope that it gets to all the hearts that need it. You know, I really do. I wrote it for me. I wrote it for me. I didn't write it to be helpful. Um, I didn't. (laughs) I love that. I wrote it for myself, but I hope that it, that because of that, it gets into the hearts that need it and into all the hands that need it. And so shall it be. (laughs) So where should people come and find you to learn more? Obviously everybody listening, go get yourself a copy of we are the luckiest. Is there a preferred location that they do that or just wherever they get books? Anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I'm always a fan of the independent bookstores, but you know, buy it anywhere. Great. And then where Uh, should they come find you? Yeah. My website has everything. So it's just my name. It's lauramccallan.com. That's got all my classes and my writing and everything is there. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your story. Thanks for having us. This is so good to have you. Such a good conversation. I'll send you you my adoption paper soon. (laughs) Oh yeah. Before we started, Laura said we were adopting her. Well, she has shared that with me before. Oh, I didn't know this is the first time. No, I knew that she wants us to adopt her. What, she hasn't what is, told you yet because... What is the reason? Because um, I just like you guys oh. and you're close by. I mean, I feel like I should move in. I'm a great caretaker and help great. with kids. I have a daughter. She could be like a babysitter. You have to wear a similar shirt because I realized during our recording, Kate and I are wearing very similar shirts. Oh, I need to wear plaid. All right, I'll, I'll up my plaid collection. <laughs> well, you know, it's Maine. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for this brilliant book. You're the best. Thank you. Bye. You're savvy enough to know that if you make optimal use of your precious time and energy, achieving your business dreams in 2020 will be inevitable. I am creating a brand new course called Make Time for Business Do the things that make money so you can do less and you can get it absolutely free for a limited time. So head over to maketimeforbusiness.com. Again, that's maketimeforbusiness.com and get yourself on the wait list so you can be the first to know when this course becomes available for free. See you there.